so far our confession of God's holy word. I invite you to have both your Bibles and your confession available. We will refer especially to um, Proverbs chapter 5 throughout the sermon. church of our master Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while, a popular singer gets his lyrics just right. And Bob Dylan's song, Gotta Serve Somebody, is is one example. I'm not endorsing him in any way. I'm not endorsing his music. But his lyrics in Gotta Serve Somebody, it hits the nail, the gospel nail on the head. Bob Dylan sings, you may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor or they may call you chief, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. God's word, Romans 6 verse 16, says this truth in this way. Do you not know If you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. And here's your options. Either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. In other words, God's word is telling us that there is no option of self-service. We must all serve someone or something. What is so sad is that most of Satan's prisoners are convinced that they are actually free. But in reality, the very sin that they think is an expression of their freedom, their sin, it actually enslaves them. And Satan, congregation, Satan, he loves to lead his prisoners deeper and deeper into slavery with all of its resulting misery. The gospel is that Jesus has paid the ransom price to buy his people back out of slavery to sin and Satan. Jesus frees his people. He frees us from the power of the devil to make us his own possession. So congregation, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, at the end of this sermon, I am going to ask you, who are you going to serve? Because it may be the devil or it may be the Lord but you're going to have to serve somebody. That is the theme for our sermon, and we will first see what it is like to serve the devil. We will see all of the misery and the the horror that 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 results. And secondly, we will also see what it is like to serve Christ. We will see the high commitment that Christ requires, but also the joy and the freedom that it is to serve Christ as the master. First of all, what is it like to serve the devil? Well, first of all, congregation, we should start by defining some terms. Question 34 asks, why do you call him, that is Jesus, our Lord? Now, the word Lord, it simply means master, boss, or owner. In the Old Old Testament, sometimes you'll be be reading and you'll see the word Lord spelled with, with all capital letters. 
Now, this refers to God's personal name, Yahweh. And that is, that's not what our catechism is talking about. It's not referring to Lord with all capital letters. No, it's referring to when, the, when you see in your Bible, Lord spelt with a capital L and then a lowercase O-R-D. Just like you can see it written in question 34. It is this form of Lord, which means master. Now, if you turn with me again in God's holy word to Proverbs chapter 5, I'd invite you to turn with me there. We'll see what happens when we serve the wrong Lord, when we serve the wrong master. You see, serving sin and Satan, it comes at a terrible cost. Proverbs 5, it, it, it describes sexual sin, but the lessons that we will learn, it applies to sin in general. Sin, it promises us so much. You see sin's seductive promise in verse 3. The lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Sounds good, doesn't it? You see, in the Old Testament times, honey was considered to be, to be the gold standard of sweetness. And honey was rare enough that people considered it to be a luxury. When God promised a land flowing with milk and honey, he promised a, a delightful land, a place where rare and exotic luxuries would be enjoyed. In Proverbs 5 verse 3, it says that the, the lips of the forbidden woman, the adulteress, drip with honey. She promises something sweet, something pleasing, something rare, something, something enticing. And her speech is also, it says, her speech is smoother than oil. In the Bible, oil, it symbolizes gladness and prosperity. Proverbs 21 verse 20, it compares oil with precious treasure. So basically what Proverbs 5 verse 3 is saying is that this forbidden woman, she is promising something worthwhile. She is as sweet and delightful as honey. She's as valuable as treasure. What? Why wouldn't you listen to her offer? But here's the question. Does she deliver? Does sin ever deliver what it promises? In the words of Romans 6 verse 21, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? Indeed, congregation, what fruit what, what benefit did you receive from serving sin? Does sin ever deliver? You look at verse 4, Proverbs 5, verse 4, we see the answer. In the end, she is as bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. The adulterous woman, along with sin in general, it tastes sweet at the start, but sin turns bitter in your mouth. And then it describes, it's talking about wormwood. Wormwood not only tastes bitter, but often the Bible describes wormwood next to poison. Wormwood, like sin, is deadly. Now, if that's not enough to keep you away, Proverbs 5, it also says that, that the forbidden woman is as sharp as a two-edged sword. Now, congregation, this description, it teaches us two different things about sin. Because a two-edged sword, it, it cuts Two ways, both ways. There's no movement 
without damage, teaching us that there's no way for us to, to entertain sin without being hurt. But the two-edged sword, it also has another meaning. Because the Hebrew phrase behind this, two-edged sword, it can be translated in, into English literally as a sword with two mouths. Two mouths. Just like the forbidden woman. Her mouth, it drips honey. She, she promises pleasure. But she only talks out of, out of that side of the, her mouth when she's sucking you in. She talks out of the other side of her mouth when she's delivering. Sin is like a box of, of trick chocolates. It is chocolate on the outside, but, but lemon juice or, or even poison on the inside. It seems sweet when you start, but sin never delivers what it promises. But for some reason, for some reason, that initial taste of honey, that initial pleasurable taste of sin is so hard to forget, is it not, congregation? And so many people go back for more. What has happened? The sin which originally promised so much pleasure has now become a trap. Proverbs 5 verse 22, it says that the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. Sin promises freedom, but in reality, it is the very thing that entraps you. Your sin is the very cord restricting your freedom, restricting your joy, restricting your very life. Do you not know that you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Think of the sin of lying. The first time someone lies, he may be horrified. The second time, he's only somewhat shaken. The third time lying, it seems far more natural. Finally, sin has him in its grasp. Sin becomes second nature. And for other sins, the story is similar. Some people are enslaved to their work. Their one abiding allegiance in life is the job. There they live out their slavish obedience. Others are enslaved to possessions. All their waking thoughts are dedicated for caring for what they own or how can they acquire more. Others are enslaved to, to sinful addictions that dominate their existence. For example, think, think of the sexual sin that Proverbs 5 describes. What happens when a man or, well, let's be honest, a woman, it's, it's not that uncommon. What happens when a man or a woman begins down the road of pornography? The image, the, the description, it promises so much. It promises pleasure, forbidden pleasure, valuable pleasure, like honey or oil. But after you are finished, it leaves a bitter taste in your mouth. It tastes sweet at first, there was some pleasure, but, but then you feel dirty and ashamed. You feel alone, afraid. But you can't quite forget that initial taste of sweetness, can you? The promise of sin, it keeps pulling you back for more and more and more until the cords of sin have entrapped you. More time, more money, more fear, more effort to cover it up. Sin always demands more. 
It entraps you. Proverbs 5 verse 9, it it describes this, how, how sin always demands more. It says that you'll give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Sin and Satan are merciless masters. They'll always take you further than you want to go. They're going to demand more from you than you are willing to give. Sin always demands more. And rather than bringing life, they'll, they'll reduce you to death. Sin and Satan, they'll take everything, congregation. Look at, look at verse 11. At the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. Sin takes everything, ultimately your life. Proverbs 5 verse 23, it says that the person entrapped in sin, he ultimately dies for his lack of discipline. He is like a rabbit caught in a snare. The the rabbit is stuck. Slowly the snare gets tighter and tighter. It becomes difficult to breathe. And then death. Romans 6 verse 23 says that the wages of sin is death. That's right. The masters, sin and Satan, they pay wages to their servants. Death. The wages of sin is death. Physical death, spiritual death, eternal death. Paul doesn't specify because sin kills in every way possible. But Paul does make it clear that death is merited. The slaves of sin receive the exact wages, the exact penalty that they deserve. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, from that flesh will also reap corruption. So congregation, do not present yourselves to sin, lest you become slaves of sin. Can you scoop coals of fire into your lap and not be burned? then how can you play with the fires of hell and not expect to be hurt? Brothers and sisters, sin is not an expression of freedom. It is an expression of slavery, of bondage. Sin will burn you. So flee from sin. Let us learn to abhor it. Satan and sin are cruel taskmasters. They keep you coming back. They offer little bits of honey, little bits of pleasure, but it's mixed with wormwood, mixed with shame, regret, and death. Slowly but surely, you become completely entangled in sin. Congregation, do you not think that Satan and his demons, do you not think that they take, you do not take delight in watching people get trapped in sin with all its resulting misery, especially the covenant children of God. Why? Why submit yourself to such a cruel master? Flee from sin. What do we do when when we already feel the noose of sin tightening around our necks? What do I do if I am already entrapped in the snare of sin? Dear brother, 
dear sister, by faith we look to Jesus. Remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. He was led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. As our representative, Jesus did not offer himself either as a slave to sin or as a slave to Satan. No, he stood firm. He faithfully resisted Satan's temptations, no matter how enticing they may have been. Instead of obeying Satan as his master, Jesus always obeyed his heavenly father. He perfectly submitted his will to his father's will. Jesus never served the wrong master. And as our representative, because he shed his precious blood on the cross, he has freed us from the power of the devil to make us his own possession. Congregation, we must no longer serve the harsh master, sin and Satan. As Paul says in Romans 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin may be brought to nothing. Why? So that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Brothers and sisters, Jesus died so that our sinful natures might die with him. Yes, the dying of our old nature, it takes time. But remember, 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 the death blow has been struck. Yes, we grieve as we still see sin present in our lives, but know this, believe it, congregation. We are free. In Christ, we are free from the lordship of sin and Satan. Believe it. And now, with Christ, we are raised up to begin serving him as Lord and as master. So congregation, let us continue to look to Christ, fix our eyes, our minds on Christ who makes us free. Freedom happens only when Christ is Lord. This brings us to our second point. The second option, rather than serving Satan, is to serve Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, sometimes when I talk with Christians, I get the sense that they think that Christ can be their Savior, but not be their Lord. That is impossible. Why? Well, it is impossible because the same blood that Jesus shed to save us is the same blood that Jesus purchased us with. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 to 19, it says that we were ransomed. Literally, to ransom means to, to buy something back. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 through 19, it says that we were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And therefore, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, therefore you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So honor God. With your body. You are not your own. In other words, if Jesus' blood has saved you, Jesus' blood has also bought you. For Jesus to be your Savior also means that Jesus is your Lord. The confession Jesus is Lord is the, the decisive 
commitment that, that makes somebody a Christian or not. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3 says that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So what this means is that when someone wishes to make public profession of faith, this is the starting point in the discussion. Is Jesus Lord? The fourth vow of our profession of faith form, it says, do you firmly resolve to commit your whole life into the Lord's service? What is service? Well, service comes from servants, which means that as servants, Jesus is our Lord. I want to emphasize this because there is some confusion here, not only in broader Christianity, but I've also noticed some confusion here within our own church federation. R.C. Sproul, he put it this way, sometimes new converts miss the significance of Christ's lordship, mainly because it's not explained to them clearly. We need to be careful and thorough when we teach new believers. Being a Christian, becoming a Christian, means that we are now serving a new Lord. Now for the confession, Jesus is Lord, for this confession to be meaningful, it must also be backed up by actions. Jesus asked, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? And again, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, except the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So if Jesus is your Lord, that means that you are listening to the voice of the Master. And Jesus claims lordship in, in every area of our life congregation, not just, not just on Sunday, not just around the supper table, but every area of our lives. When I choose who to date, which car or house to buy, how to invest my money, is Jesus Lord? Am I, am I serving Jesus with this decision that I am making? Or, or is something else Lord? Is something else, am I serving something else with this decision? Some of the men in our church in Devon, we were recently discussing what it means for Jesus to be Lord. It started when one of the brothers shared a conversation he had at work. His co-worker asked him, what would you do if someone had a gun to the head of your wife or to your children and, and demands that you deny Christ? Otherwise, he will pull the trigger. I don't ask this, this lightly because it is, it is terrible, but, but I want to ask you, congregation, what would you do? Would you deny your Savior? Or would you stay faithful and watch your loved ones die? This is a real question for many persecuted Christians throughout the world. It's also a very real question for, for so many Muslims who convert to Christ. Perhaps, perhaps even worse than watching their loved ones die, they are ostracized, shunned, rejected by their families. Their families want nothing to do with them. Serving Christ, it comes at, at a great commitment. The ancient church father, Polycarp, he lived around the, the second century, about 100 years after, after Jesus. He, he faced a similar decision. Polycarp's friends, they found out that the Roman authorities were about to arrest him. So they urged Polycarp to flee the city. 
But Polycarp is found. And the Roman proconsul, he threatens to kill him if he does not recant his Christian faith. Polycarp, he refuses, and, and, the, and, the, and the proconsul, he, he insists again, take the oath and I shall release you. Curse Christ. Polycarp responds, 86 years I have served him, and he never did me any wrong. Why would I blaspheme my Lord and my King? And so Polycarp was burned alive. You see, Polycarp, he understood what it means for Jesus to be Lord. Jesus, he, he said himself, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross. Congregation, what is a cross? You die on a cross. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If Jesus is Lord, obedience to him comes first. We cannot be his disciples unless we are ready to renounce all that we have. Christ being master comes at a price. Now, congregation, I, I need to clarify something here. I'm speaking off the cuff. Um, after I preached the sermon in Devon, I had a young, a young man in our congregation come up to me, probably 10 or 12 years old, and he asked me a question. He said, Reverend Koss, you said in your sermon that we cannot deny Christ and still be saved, but what about Peter? Didn't Peter deny Christ three times, and wasn't he still saved? It's a very good question. I was quite, quite pleased to hear it. Um, but I explained to him, I, I didn't actually say that. I want to clarify that also in your minds, brothers and sisters. There is forgiveness also for those who in a moment of weakness deny Christ. But we must also be clear, I'm asking for your attitude. Romans 6, it says that we, that we cannot live in sin. How can we who have died to sin live in it any longer? It is not possible, brothers and sisters. To so our attitude, our, our, our desire, our passion, it must be to serve Christ no matter what. Yes, forgiveness is possible when we fall. But we should not decide. We should not be committed to anything else above Christ. Now, congregation, this is a, a very high calling. is a very steep price for those whom Christ calls to pay it. But it is also a most wonderful price to pay. Why? Because this master... Master Jesus, unlike the previous masters, sin and Satan, this master, he loves us. Satan abuses his slaves. He enjoys watching humans wallow in their ever-increasing misery and slavery to sin. But Jesus, he loves us. There was nothing compelling Jesus to hang on that cross, to pay the penalty to set us free from the dominion of Satan. He did it. He endured the wrath of God against your sin because he loves you. He wants to set you free to serve him. 
If you want to buy something at the store or the auction, what you are willing to pay for, for an item, it shows how much you value that item. Jesus' suffering, his shed blood on the cross, it shows how much he values us. Jesus' congregation, he is a loving, a compassionate master. And our master, he treats us well. Think of, think of the Old Testament of those slaves who, who were allowed to go free in the seventh year, but, but willingly decided that they wanted to remain servants of their master. This is a foreshadowing of the most benevolent master, Jesus. Because congregation, which self-respecting master which self-respecting master would come home to his servants, dress himself in the garbs of a slave, and have his servants recline at the table, bring out the supper, and serve his servants? It is a rhetorical question that Jesus asks in the minds of everyone who hears him. The answer is no one. That is ridiculous. No, ser- no master would serve his servants. But brothers and sisters, this is exactly what Jesus promises us in Luke 12. He promises to serve his servants. He promises to wait on his servants while we dine. And congregation, which self-respecting master would wash the feet of his disciples? Which self-respecting master, as he is reclining at the table, would get up? unclothe himself, take the form of a servant and a slave, and humble himself by washing the sweaty, disgusting feet of his disciples, those disciples who were too proud to do it themselves. Jesus is a loving and a compassionate master. Jesus cares for our needs. It is good, brothers and sisters, it is good to be the servant of Jesus. And unlike sin and Satan, Master Jesus, he does not pay us wages. Sin and Satan pay wages, death. But Jesus, no, he gives free, undeserved gifts to his subjects. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Even now, our master is busy preparing rooms for us in heaven. And when he returns, he'll transform these lowly bodies of ours to be like his glorious body. Then the sting of death will be removed. And congregation, our our master, he will make us lords in heaven. He said it himself. One day the master will return and speak these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Master Jesus has an eternity of joy, an eternity of glory in store for his servants. It is good to serve Jesus as our master. So congregation, choose This day, who you will serve. We have seen that no human is autonomous. Each one of us must serve something or serve someone. You can serve the devil. You can serve the Lord, but you're going to have to serve someone. 
If you choose to serve sin and Satan, you will be the slave of a cruel taskmaster. He promises much pleasure, but he never, he never delivers what he promises. Rather, he only leads you into bondage, resulting in death. But while service to Jesus is also costly, Jesus is a gracious master, a master who gives rich heavenly gifts to us, his servants. Do you not know that you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness and life. Brothers and sisters, choose this day who you will serve. May our answer, may each one of us answer with Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen.